1: I'm going to admit something to you. I'm very tired right now. Hmm.
0: Well, we, yeah. You have t- two children now. That's young, right. two young children. That's a challenge.
1: Yeah. So over the summer, my son Oliver was born, which is really exciting, but I am very tired and I wish I had more time and there's so much more that I want to do with my class and we're we're talking more about getting into the C3 frameworks and Developing inquiry lessons uh, or inquiry units. And I just want more time, man. I'm tired.
0: Yeah, teaching takes time. And it's one of the things that's difficult. You know, I think over our labor often isn't respected in the ways that it should be in the classroom, where we should have enough time to really plan with colleagues during the day. Um, I just had a um, teacher candidate today who's exceptional. She's, she was wants to get in the classroom and teach, and she's um, working in an elementary school. And she asked her teacher, "Can I teach a lesson?" And the teacher gave her this 13 Colonies newsletter the district gave out. And so we spent we've had two meetings that were like an hour and a half each to see how we could, um, you know, reframe that and and center indigenous perspectives and, yeah. and kind of get away from it. And it was awesome. Like at the end of the day, we came up with a really good lesson that I yeah think, yeah and but. Then I looked up and it's like four hours gone. And taking you know, doing the things you want to do in education just takes time and you need support, I feel like, oftentimes to get it done.
1: Yes. Yes. (laughs) Very much so. I did you ever watch it was a stupid show on like, I don't know, in the afternoon where Evie would like stop time because her father was an alien or something. I want that. Yeah.
0: I have the Zach Morris reference. He always stops time to say like... That
1: ex- probably is more relatable.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Explain the situation. I don't remember the show you're talking about. But yeah, I mean, I, I do too. Don't you just wish you could like, when you start your lesson like five minutes in, you could pause and be like, oh, oh God, I-, I need to go read a little bit more about this or that's it. So I, yeah, I think teaching <laughs> teachers need support and especially if we're going to teach topics and content in ways that are not often provided to us through districts. Yeah. You know, teaching counter narratives, using high quality sources, asking, you know, really thoughtful questions. That stuff doesn't just, you know, no, you're not given no. that.
1: No, because the, like the, you know, the, your traditional narrative, that's given to me. I have access to that and I don't want it. And so, yeah, it would be nice to get more support, uh, and this isn't a slight against my district by any means. But like in general, I feel like teachers do need support to do some better work in history in general.
0: So I think for tired Michael and you know <laughs> and busy Dan, that we would we would love to bring in some guests who can help us talk about the way that they support history teachers and helping to do quality, important, impactful work in schools. And so yes. we would like to I welcome am... in, go ahead, Michael, are you going to say something?
1: No, I am so into this conversation. I want to see where it goes.
0: This is timely. This is timely. So we would like to welcome, in. we have a whole group of, of people working with the UCLA History Geography Project that we would like to welcome into the podcast. Welcome, everyone. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having us.
1: We are thrilled you're here.
0: So we have a whole team of you here who have been working and doing a lot of this work. And so first, before we get too far in, can we hear a little bit about each of your backgrounds and kind of understand how do you go and get into a position like this where you're working oftentimes to support teachers?
2: Yeah, I'll go ahead and start. My name is Daniel Diaz, and I am the uh, director of the UCLA History Geography Project. I've been with the project for five years. Uh, Prior to this, I was a high school history teacher, uh, for 12 years. And I taught one year of sixth grade, which is an experience I don't like to talk too much about. Um, it was definitely oh, man. A for me. This is just an amazing opportunity I have. I've, I've been mentored by a lot of great history teachers and educators in, in the past. And this is just sort of like an opportunity for me to give back and support teachers in Los Angeles. So I'm really, I'm really excited to have this conversation. I'm really um, honored to be able to do the work that I do.
1: And you know what show I was talking about, correct?
2: Yeah, I think it was called Out of This World.
1: Yes, that is it. Thank you.
2: The theme song is in my head right now.
1: Would you like to swing on a star?
2: Yeah, Yeah, yeah. that's it.
3: (laughs) My name is Amparo Chavez Gonzalez, and I'm probably considered a veteran. I have been a teacher for an educator for 29 years. I kind of stumbled into teaching and primarily I've taught high school students, but I've taught third through 12th graders and primarily history, but I've been that elementary school teacher who doesn't have a lot of content knowledge and hoping someone would give me some materials to use in the next 30 minutes. So I can relate to that very much so. I have been a UCLA history coach now for almost 15 years and i go into people's classrooms i support them with lesson planning i model lessons i work with students so i kind of i'm there to really help uh, new and experienced teachers develop content and literacy
0: that's awesome you get to model lessons that's exciting because i i ask everyone to let me come teach lessons in their class and everyone like kind of goes "Uh uh uh-huh and then they don't let me come teach in their class it's hard people are people are busy i know how it goes
3: People are very busy. I first try to develop relationships with teachers and students. So then kids kind of feel comfortable me stepping in and teachers feel comfortable letting me be there. So it takes a little while, but it, it's, it keeps me excited about teaching too. So
1: That is excellent advice. I like the idea of like a runway where people like show off their great lessons or they, you know, model their, their lessons.
0: Ooh, yeah, I like that. We need to, we need to move into that, that space, right? For professional development, actually runway.
1: Yes.
3: <laughs> um, I was very lucky to be a part of Central Park East Secondary High School in New York. That was started by Deborah Meyer and Ted Brown. And at that high school, it was an open school. So there were years where I had over 2000 people walk into my classroom while I was teaching and watch what I was doing. And uh, that's where I got my chops and creating lessons and feeling comfortable with that so it was an amazing experience
0: what did the actual building look like for that open school I mean is it where were you located that people were able to come and observe you teaching so easily
3: we were in New York City we had the schools run by teachers and basically we just had Thursdays was the day that they came into the school to watch me teach So whoever happened to come on Thursday got to walk into my classroom and uh, participate in it. It was parents could walk in at any time. Other teachers could walk in at any time. The elementary school teachers could walk in. So it was very much a community building that way.
0: That's cool. Whenever anyone comes in my classroom, I immediately try to get them to start doing whatever activities we're doing. I don't let them be a passive observer. And so I'm like, nope, you're in a group. And most people kind of roll with it and end up enjoying it. So that's fun.
3: Absolutely. The, the kids who ran the tours knew, and they, and they gave people a heads up about that. So <laughs> if you were going to walk into my class, you couldn't interrupt the kids, but you could sit with them and participate. So it was pretty fun to do that.
4: So my name is Miguel Corubias, and I'm a teacher at an art school right now, currently in LAUSD. And I got involved with the with UCLA History Geo Project I would say like about five years ago, formally, but I think I've been like informally connected to UCLA History Geo Project for like about seven years. It started when I met Emma, who was the former director, and she would come into our school site and help us uh, with uh, building lessons from scratch, you know, thinking about sources and then coming up with an inquiry question, just like the basic format of how to build lessons and I kind of just started off from there. From that point, I began to get more involved and eventually started doing curriculum.
5: So my name is Chris Lewis. I'm currently a teacher on special assignment, uh, coordinating my English learner program. Before that, I have taught in social science and English for the last 15 years. uh, And I started to really become more active working with teachers and curriculum. When I started working on my PhD, So I did my PhD at uh, Chapman University in Orange, and it was really through that program where they encouraged us to build professional networks, to participate in organizations that support teachers, which is where I started to follow people on Twitter, go to academic conferences, and just meet all of the people that I communicated with so I was able to meet up with Daniel at a few different conferences and that's how I started to become more active with the UCLA History Project.
0: Wow well it seems like you have a really great group so without further ado can you all tell us a little bit about the work that you do at UCLA History Geography Project?
2: So the UCLA History Geography Project is a. It's part of a big network here in California called the California History Social Science Project, or CHSSP. And the the goal of CHSSP is to support uh, history teachers throughout the state. And there's different history projects at different universities and, and colleges. And so the the job of the UCLA History Geography Project is to support history teachers in Los Angeles and surrounding counties. We're, we're housed in the School of Education at UCLA in a, in a place called Center X, and Center X has a social justice orientation. And the idea behind the project is that it's teachers supporting teachers, teachers teaching teachers. So we're all part of this network of, of history teachers. Like I said, me, a former teacher, Miguel and, and Chris, current teachers, on Amparo, um a longtime teacher. And um, we work to support different educators in Los Angeles in a very in a myriad of ways. And one of the things that we've been thinking a lot about is is th- the process of writing a lesson. And I, I just re- recall from my like my first year as a teacher, shout out to Roosevelt High School in Boyle Heights. I was mentored by um, a pretty legendary teacher out here in l a named brian gibbs who who wrote these amazing simulations and, Just kind of like seeing his process we're bringing stacks of books from the LA Public Library into the teacher's lounge and like pouring through them and creating these very artfully done simulations was really inspiring. And, you know, flash forward to the, you know, the present, California is undergoing a big shift in how history instruction is being done. And this is part of the California history social science framework, which is asking teachers to shift away from the coverage model covering all the content and doing more emphasis on literacy building and using inquiry and so you know we've been we've been trying to support teachers in LA with this shift in instruction and we often tap into skilled teachers like Chris and Miguel to come in to a workshop and model a lesson that they wrote and then talk to teachers about their process And it's fascinating for me to hear the process because Amparo, Chris and Miguel have very different approaches, but they write really great lessons. And for me, it's like a chef who can make use of all these ingredients, the common core standards, (laughs) content, primary sources, conceptual thinking pedagogy. And they put all of these ingredients and it's just an amazing product that at first glance looks like a very simple easy to follow lesson but there's a lot of thought and creativity and research that goes into this and so i'm just fascinated by it and i and i think that the your your listeners will also be fascinated and hopefully inspired by by the the process and the the skill set that these folks have there's
0: so many good metaphors to describe the work that great teachers do and what it takes to be a great teacher, right? Because it's so many things. It's curriculum, it's instruction, but it's your pedagogical beliefs. And it is. It's like it's like artwork. It's like, you know, being a great chef. It's like all of those things because you never can rely on on just something simple, right? And there may be really good ideas that can help guide you, but you have to know when to draw on them and when to pull them in and what's appropriate. And so it's always incredible to hear really good teachers work through that.
2: Yeah, we really believe that it's important for us to support teachers in writing their own curriculum. One, one it's, it's an exercise, right? Writing your own curriculum just kind of reminds you of the importance of lesson planning. You go back into the standards, you know, you go back into the resources, you do research. It's just like it's like exercise. It's just like a, a muscle that needs to be to 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 be nurtured. Uh, pretty frequently and then also when you write curriculum teachers are able to customize it to their communities and their students and one of our objectives at the history project is to make sure that the the lessons are culturally responsive engaging and empowering for students and there's no better way to do that than to write curriculum from scratch for your for your students
0: so i'd love to hear some of the wisdom that you all have gained in your in your practice and working with teachers how do you do it and so how can tired michael make his lesson (laughs) dreams happen
5: Yes. So the one thing I really appreciate, Dan, that you mentioned is the idea of metaphors. When I've taught methods classes and then when I've done some presentations for the history project, um, I ask teachers to think about what, what is their unit planning or lesson planning metaphor. So what is like the emotional experience? Because for a lot of teachers, it, it's exhausting, number one, but it's also very draining. And it's very emotional to decide What do I teach? What do I leave out? What voices are included and excluded? It's a really complicated process. Um, So when I talk about it, for me, planning is very much like a subway map. Um, I love traveling. I think about kind of where I'm beginning in that process. And I know where I want to end up. But how I get there is very challenging. There are always roadblocks, things that get in my way. I find one topic that I just want to read about when I know I probably should be lesson planning. But when you ask how, what does it look like? I'll admit that I'm I'm a big picture thinker. Uh, I really like to put everything literally out on paper. And so when I work with my teachers, I use some of the unit planning tools that the history project created, and we start with sticky notes. And I just have teachers think about what are the must haves in their curriculum so what are the topics what are the texts that they want their students to engage with Um, and we put them all out on sticky notes on poster paper and we start just sorting and figuring out how do we group our content how do we decide what things relate to each other because we know that history is always continuing uh, and there's always so much information how do we talk about narrowing it down And I think the most important thing is that it's done together. I taught AP US History for 10 years, and I planned by myself for 10 years. So I think finding a group of teachers that you're able to have difficult conversations with and really think through why am I teaching this concept and what do I want my students to get out of it needs to happen in community. And I think that teachers building community uh, is really what's important.
1: That's interesting. Uh, You're you're very interested in building communities. You talked a lot about building your personal learning network. So it kind of makes sense that you would also try to create that as part of your lesson planning process. Was that something that you transitioned into? Or is that something you, at one point, it was like a switch that got flipped?
5: In probably my first few years of teaching, I taught eight to 10 different subjects, just because I moved from English to social science, that I really had to find teachers that were gonna help me become a better teacher. And being in a doctoral program, which I'm not saying is for everybody, but it really helped me build an academic community uh, where I was thinking about the difficult topics and then they were pushing me out into continue that academic work with other people. so it wasn't just a group of people writing and thinking together, but how are we going to use our research and our studying to actually impact other teachers and other
4: students?
0: I think one thing you mentioned, Chris, too, that is really resonating with me lately is that you know there, we, learn, we have so many options in when we're thinking of what a lesson can be, right, from approaches to resources we use to, to curriculum we include, right, whose stories are included, what's the overall narrative. I feel like sometimes I just need to simplify it and like come up with my own checklist of what are the things I want to do in a lesson. And there's this book I read a couple of years ago called The Checklist Manifesto. And it was really geared towards professions that have these complex, do complex work. And so the checklist is just meant as a reminder of the things you want to do. It's to tap into your knowledge you already have. And I'm starting to think like I need that, right? Like I need a <laughs> checklist because I want to do like three or four things in each lesson. But when you're in the midst of planning a lesson, it can be overwhelming. You can lose sight. Of those things you want to do I need my uh, maybe I need my subway map is the better metaphor I don't know
5: (laughs) yeah and I think that's why working with a group of teachers makes that a a lot easier because I know that when I'm planning a lesson probably I'll be generous 75% of it will go well but I know that as I'm teaching it things are not gonna work and a strategy isn't gonna get what I want out of students. And I have to be able to have a process and a group of teachers to think through that reflection. So it's not just about the planning, it's also what am I doing after I've actually taught it. And I think that's one part of planning that sometimes gets
4: left out. So for me, I think one of the things that's really important is thinking about my audience. And because we teach, well, because I I teach in Los Angeles, and the majority of my students are diverse. They come from different parts of Los Angeles, different ethnic groups. I'm thinking about like representation and history. I'm thinking about what's missing in the curriculum and then making sure that I come up with lessons in order to plug those holes in there. Because when you think about the big American narrative, you're, you're missing a lot of, uh, a lot of different uh, points in the narrative. So there are certain groups that need to be plugged in. They need to be, they need to be addressed because I think in thinking about representation, I have students there. They, you know, for them it's like, well, you know, what about us? Are we included in American history? Where are we in in history? And so for me, it's really important to be able to think about lessons that address that particular gap. And so that's why I think about I, especially like in here in California, we passed the fact a couple years was it like in 2012 which basically says that mandates it that we teach lgbt history the history of minorities and make sure that it's in our curriculum so in thinking about that i think about okay think about my audience i think about my students and making sure that they see themselves and reflected back in the curriculum and so for me that's really important so that's where i start i start with that what's missing and where does it fit in the big narrative of american history so when I'm thinking about like a specific like uh, period of time, let's say I'm thinking about the 1920s, the Harlem Renaissance, I'm thinking where can I, where can I uh, have this representation? If I'm thinking LGBT, well, why not like do a lesson about uh, lesbian blues singers? So that way they can a teacher can easily fit that in into the curriculum, and then that way uh, that person's students can feel represented. So for me, that's that's a big issue, uh, a big a big thing that from that I think about is representation.
0: That's so important. I, ha- I was just having that great conversation with one of my really excited teacher candidates I mentioned at the beginning, and that was our whole thing. She got handed a you know basically thirteen colonies lesson you get handed in elementary. And we just said, we don't want to start the story there. Like, we can't talk about colonies if we haven't talked about who's being colonized and, you know, whose land is taken. And so we had to think about, like, how do we – we wanted to center indi- an indigenous stories. And so we had to, th- to reconsider everything. And so it was hard. Like, it really took us a lot of mental time to kind of think through that. And that one of the things we discussed in my class to my methods class today just was that very fact that not everyone sees themselves as part of the American story in the same way, especially indigenous groups, nations that, you know, have sovereignty and have their own nations. And so that that even kind of blew people's minds a little bit. Think, oh, like they don't always want to be called the first, you know, Americans or the first Texans. They actually don't see themselves that way. And so we shouldn't express it. So I think um, always having that counter narrative perspectives so that master narrative doesn't dominate. Um, our classrooms and curriculum is a is a challenge when gosh we've been doing it for a long time
4: that's a big challenge but you know what's another challenge is the fact that there isn't curriculum out there and i think that's what the work that we've been doing for the last couple of years is trying to create lessons that are the um, lessons uh, that are connected to lgbtq history and so if, if we have a law that says we have to teach this but there are no lessons out there then when are the teachers going to find the time to sit down and, and create this curriculum from scratch? Because it's really difficult to do that. So that's what we try to do is we try to help. But in modeling and in, in, uh, doing this, we, we kind of serve a, two purposes. One purpose is we create this lesson and offer the teacher to have it and they can use it. But the other, the other purpose is also to help teachers learn how to create their own lessons from scratch if they have to do that and how to do it And then sort of thinking about nuts and bolts. But like, yeah, I think it's really important to generate that curriculum so people can do that. So if you're that history teacher and you're handed the 13 colonies and you're like, okay, so you want to go ahead and address like all these different uh, audiences in your your classroom, how are you going to do that? If there's no curriculum out there, how do you research that? How do you like generate a lesson? And if there's how do you adapt a lesson that's already out there? So a lot of that is that's what makes our work so difficult and challenging is trying to find that curriculum out there or developing it if it's not there.
5: In addition to what Miguel said, the idea of localizing history is also extremely important and challenging for teachers. I think we're fortunate as a group that we we live in Los Angeles and we have access to a lot of archival materials and local history projects and connecting with UCLA and other history projects allows you to talk with historians and professors who are doing this work. So uh, an example uh, related to ethnic studies is my school and a few of us have worked with a group of historians writing about the San Gabriel Valley. Uh, And they're writing about the history of the community in which we live, which is is an important question to ask our students is that often when they look at a textbook, they're looking at the history of other people or they're looking at the history of other experiences instead of asking, how am I part of this history? And how am I going to be part of creating a narrative? And I know Empato can talk a little bit about Lost LA, which is a great project with KCT, looking at Los Angeles history, so that our students are experiencing content that's relevant, not only to their physical space, but also to just how we understand the community in which we live.
3: I didn't have a choice early on in my career. Again, at the school that I was at, we had had a commitment not to use textbooks, so from the very beginning we researched, we created original curriculums, we created simulations, it was all project based. So my experience in terms of creating lessons is, what I tell teachers is, this is an opportunity for you to find this experience exhilarating. Let me be your coach. So when I think about lesson planning, I think about not only coaching teachers, but kids. I I have this vision of a basketball team, you know, and we have to work with one another and discover and get to communicate and figure out each other's moves and strategize. So I always think of writing curriculum that way. How do I get kids to discover? How do I get kids to work with one another? How do I throw them something that they're not going to it's not going to fit into their schema and they have to rethink it and then at the end I I come from a literary literacy based model so I always think about what do I want kids to execute if I think of a basketball game if I think of that approach I think what what moves do I want kids to execute which means my literacy how do I want them to talk how do I want them to read how do I want them to write I, I if I find great resources, I'm even willing to put them aside and save them from a, for another day if they're not gonna help kids execute that plan. So I'm always thinking about what are kids gonna be able to do and say and read and think and write at the end of this lesson when I think about that. And I try to share that excitement with teachers, right? That if kids can apply and use what you're sharing with them, they're not going to care. And then you got to let them know why they should care. So I spend a lot of time with teachers looking at what content do you have? What lesson materials do you have? And then I get them connected to the rabbit holes, as Daniel calls them, that we go down, you know, these archives and these primary sources. And I and I share pictures with them and I share documents and a lot of times that gets teachers excited like historians get excited like we get excited and then they want to repeat the process and I think to me that's so invaluable it gets them away from that textbook that doesn't know their students and so when I tell teachers look if you've got a lesson that is engaging connected to kids when kids are doing things and you can move back and let them execute the game plan, you're gonna get rid of the disciplinary issues, the getting out of the seat issues, the fights, whatever it is that you're worried about, kids are gonna be right there with you. If it looks like them, if it's if it's got girls in it, if it's got LGBTQ plus issues in it, if it's got Latinx issues in it, if it's showing them you know indigenous people if it's bringing a controversy that connects to them you know about privacy issues and growing up in LA and what it means to have graffiti art you know all around them and why is it that certain folks their graffiti art is valued and theirs are not those conversations get those uh, get kids really excited and they get teachers excited when they see that kids are excited so to me that's what lesson planning does. It it transforms that community by engaging teachers in the process and thus engaging kids. So one of the things that I've been really interested in doing is in localizing history, because I agree with Miguel, I agree with Chris and Daniel, that there isn't enough history about <clears throat> California and LA and the importance it's had in the nation and you know, in the world in many ways. And so when Daniel asked me to be part of the Lost LA curriculum, I got really excited because we brought a group of teachers and using the archives and the episodes from Lost LA, we created curriculum sets that teachers could use with the videos. The other project that I'm working on right now is called Our Stories, where we are reaching out to local museums, archival, you know, holding, hold place, I guess, placeholders, archival placeholders in the community and universities. And we're trying to build a workshop model where teachers don't have to do, you know, go crazy with the research. We're bringing those folks to work with teachers at museums to build some curriculum lessons together. And so we're reaching out to a whole bunch of different places right now. We're excited because museums are ready for this. They want people to see their stuff. <laughs> and, you know, and so it's an exciting time to think about how we build these banks of lessons so that Michael can go back to being, you know, a dad and <laughs> folks can get home to their families because there's a bank of lessons, you know? And I, to me, that's exciting, you know, as a, as a coach and as a, as a teacher.
0: We just need to kidnap all these people with sources, people at museums, <laughs> historians. They have all the sources. They're keeping them from us. We need to kidnap them. I agree. I really like the idea you talked about. You referenced, and I hadn't thought of it now that you, got me, you all have me thinking of metaphors um, and educational metaphors. I like that you talked about how textbooks don't know students, right? I like that phrasing. I'm going to start calling the textbook like stranger danger because it doesn't know us and it's not our <laughs> curriculum. And that's going to be my metaphor. And then we have, because we have to find the the curriculum that that fits our class and community. Well, this is really incredible work, and I think there's so much wisdom coming from the projects you're working on. I think that can give educators, both teacher educators, you know, who are working at the district level, who are working in methods classes, or just teachers who are working, trying to figure out how they can work with their colleagues, you know, and peers to improve their lessons. I think there's a lot of great stuff you're doing. And side note. Fun fact, I actually was in L.A. today, um, even though I'm in Texas what? now. Yeah, I know. Well, I was in L.A. this weekend, and I can only say I was in L.A. today because technically my flight was so delayed that I didn't get in until like 2 in the morning last night. So I know. I know everyone feels sorry for me, but I love being in Los Angeles. I get, I luckily travel there a lot, so we'll all have to hang out sometime.
3: Absolutely. Well, we'll get you to eat real Mexican food, not Texan food. Oh, okay.
1: Oh. <laughs> I, I, am,
0: I am ready for that
1: experience. So I'm trying to think of my metaphor for how I lesson plan, and right now I can only get uh, mad scientists, which does not bode well. It's very much erratic, and sometimes I mix chemicals, which sometimes cause explosions, which is not a very good thing. <laughs> well, it's not sustainable. So what advice do you have for teachers when they're going into developing their own metaphor, developing their own lessons? I,
2: I, you know, based on my conversations with, with Amparo, Chris, and Miguel, I think I would uh, encourage teachers who want to start to create curriculum is to have a place for them to kind of dump their ideas. Because I think one of the challenges that teachers have is that they sort of go to a default Madeline Hunter or C3 model, and um, you're trying to fill out those charts, and which are terrific charts and terrific processes, but what, what I've found in, in talking to these three is that there's actually a process before that. It's more of like a creative ideating kind of process, and I've kind of done like a cognitive task analysis where I'm trying to capture the expertise of these three. And me and Amparo had a lengthy conversation about this, and we sort of developed this idea, uh, a place to dump ideas in a more structured way. We just call it the canvas. And it's just something that I can share as a resource, but it's a kind of a starting place for you to think about "Hmm, what topics are of interest to me, my students, what literacy and conceptual thinking do I want my kids to practice? What are some questions I might want to ask? And it's just a place to throw down some ideas and then using that to transition into whatever lesson plan protocol you use, this will be a place to organize your thoughts.
0: Well, great. We will share that that Canvas model in our show notes, not to be cute, confused with the Canvas learning management system, which my students and I have to use at our university. Very different ones. So so what what other takeaways do we have for for enacting this work in the classroom? We'd love to think about what, what advice would you have for someone trying to really go and enact some of these ideas tomorrow in their work
3: I would tell folks to get excited and to once you've created something my advice is for at the end try to think like your students and try it out if if you find that it's too difficult or it's too complicated or you're getting frustrated your kids your students will too so Play with it. Play with it at, through the eyes of the, the students you teach, and that'll really help you to know if it's going to work or not.
1: That's fun. I for uh, one of my master's course, I took a class on, uh, on game-based design, and we would like play test stuff. And so I had like a group of students who were quite happy having lunch with me and like play testing some and breaking things. So this way, I can then go ahead and fix it for the next time they want to try to break it again. Uh, it was actually a really great process.
3: I would tell you to use it on your uh, fellow teachers. see if they can do it. If they can Maybe do I'll whatever like you create, Yeah, if they can do whatever you create, then your kids might be able to. I would try it on a grade level lower than yours.
4: <laughs> so I guess like one of the things I always talk to teachers about is thinking about like the hook. When we when we're at a workshop and we're trying to workshop a lesson, I, I started thinking about okay, well, what's your hook? You know, how do you, like, engage kids, bring them in to, to the lesson, get them excited about what they're going to learn? Um, also thinking about, like, choosing sources. What kind of primary sources are the kids going to be looking at? And what method are, are you going to use for the, for the students to look at that, those particular sources? What activities are they going to be engaged in? Are they these type of hands-on activities? Uh, what kind of literacy activities so just thinking about like the different parts of a lesson but starting with that idea right like what is the hook what is going to bring those kids in because really that's what gets people excited you know at the at the end so thinking about that is really important
1: i've listened to too much of the moana soundtrack i just think of maui and his magical hook which is was very helpful for you know getting the uh key heart of tahiti tafiti i have not seen the movie the entire way
2: through wow you're such a parent right now <laughs>
1: Yeah,
4: I know. Uh, similarly this would be the magical hook as well because just like it's important in the movie it's also important in the uh, in lesson planning at least the introduction right and i always like think about how to introduce a lesson right because that's really what is going to have kids engaged from the beginning. Because if you have, like, even if the the, the the rest of the lesson is really interesting, if you don't get them engaged in it right away, then what happens is you might lose some students. But, but you have, like, a like a really interesting opener, right, whatever that might be, then all of a sudden the students feel drawn in and they're like, oh, you know, I really, yeah, I'm interested. Like, Let's see what else is going on here. What else are we going to learn about?
5: When I think about how I would give recommendation to teachers first what i think is interesting is when we've all talked we've kind of thought about the end of the lesson and not necessarily the planning of it and i think that's really indicative of what daniel was talking about that we all have such different processes for how we think about teaching and how we think about planning that the one piece i would say needs to be included is that teachers have to plan for feedback and plan for reflection So even though I'm putting together this whole lesson and I'm asking all of these really big concepts and thinking about the ingredients, like Miguel was talking about, including a step for how did this go for me as a teacher, getting students to give feedback, how was the experience for them during the lesson and ways that you could do this is to really invite teachers in to come and observe lessons um, or there's a really big movement in doing like uh, videoing your lesson so that it's not just for you to look at it but for other people to look at it and kind of think of what were some of the instructional moves that you made during the lesson and how did students respond throughout the lesson because that's one of like the senses that we as teachers have that we watch students participate all the time. but. Sometimes our classes are so big, we don't know how to respond when they're not all reacting the way that we want. So uh, I guess if I got it down to a simple idea is don't plan alone. Make sure that you're building in a group of people who can help you see that lesson to its end, and then know that you can you can always go back and fix it. It's okay if it doesn't work.
3: See, my, my, students, my students would have yelled and refused yeah. to cooperate, so I would have known. I would have gotten immediate <laughs> feedback, so I... <laughs>
0: Natural feedback. Yeah, and they've been, you know, they've been doing lesson study in Japan for years, which is such a model. I wish we would do more in the US where you you plan with teachers and you give each other feedback. And, you know, the process is so much a part of teaching there, whereas so often we focus on these narrow little results that are often flawed and problematic in the form of numbers. But this has been incredible. I think that the work you all are doing is really great. And so, yeah, we would like to encourage all of our listeners. If you are curious about any of these ideas, there's two first places you can go. One is go search the UCLA History Geography Project. You can use whichever search engine you want. DuckDuckGo is my preference. I don't say to Google it everywhere, right? And you can go find their site. And then you can go to our show notes where we have we will link several of the things that were mentioned here. So, So thank you all for joining us so much today.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Other than the UCLA History Project, which has tremendous resources, I was spending some time on it earlier, where can our listeners find you or your work online?
2: The project has a social media presence. It's at UCLA HGP. That's on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. I don't have any social media accounts, but you could definitely follow me via the project.
5: So my Twitter handle is at Chris Lewis underscore one zero. And then I also have one of those teacher blogs that teachers always say I'm going to start doing and somehow dwindles throughout the year. But it's a teachersponderings.com. But it has all of my presentations and all the conferences that I attend. That's where I post all of my resources.
3: I guess I need to think about that. Uh, Probably people can reach me If they want to get some resources, or some work via my email and I'll make that available uh, for you to put it on the, the podcast.
4: I'm like on social media. I'm on Facebook, but the email I think is, is I can provide you an email if people want to reach me.
0: Sure. We will have all of that in our show notes for sure. So thank you all so much again for joining us today, and we certainly hope to find you either through those emails or social media accounts and uh, continue the conversations.
1: Or at a restaurant in L.A.
0: Yes. That's what I'm really looking forward to. <laughs> I'm already planning my next trip to L.A. to get some really good food.
2: I got yeah, it. come down. We'll, yeah, we'll go eat and we'll plan. We'll write a lesson in uh... And enjoy some good food.
1: There we go. That's what I'm talking That's about. That's it.
0: We don't get enough food in teaching while we're working on stuff.
1: That's wow. what I'm saying. I've been saying that for years. So <laughs> at the Visions of Education podcast, we're all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun and creative in education or you just want to chat, and we know you do, tweet us at Visions of Ed. We're also on Facebook and that one place I send this up for, but I forget where it is. And if you haven't already, subscribe to Visions of Ed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere else you want us to be.
0: And if you write us a five-star review, that will help people find this podcast, and we will read it on the air. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka.
1: And I'm at 42 Think
0: Deep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast. Signing off.